This podcast does not provide medical nor legal advice. Please listen to the complete disclosure at the end of the recording. Hello, possums, and welcome <laughs> to Everyone Dies, the podcast where we talk about serious illness, dying, death, and bereavement. I'm Marianne Matz. I'm a nurse practitioner, and I use my experience from working as a nurse for 45 years to help answer your questions about what happens at the end of life. And I'm Charlie Navarrete, an actor in New York City, reminding you to not leave your end-of-life issues to chance. Write them down. Tell people. So please relax and get yourself something to eat and drink. And thank you for spending the next hour with Charlie and me as we talk about mass graves. And the largest one actually in the country is in New York City. So in the first half, we have a story about digital fragments left after death and our recipe of the week. In the second half, Charlie talks about public graves to bury the dead. And in our third half, we have um, impressions from children, which I hope that you'll enjoy. So Charlie, how are you? Uh, fine. You know, the weather's been nice and been cooperating, but, um, you know, feels very nice spring-like, but I, I guess by the end of the week, it's supposed to be the nineties. So, uh, and I don't mean the 1990s. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. So you're having a heat wave? A tropical heat wave. The temperatures are rising. Da, 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 da. It isn't surprising. Can, can. Can, can. So, have you ever gone to the grocery store and wondered what you could do with coconut milk? Um, me neither. Yeah, me neither. But Charlie mm-hmm. thought mm-hmm. it was time to include coconut milk in our funeral lunch cuisine. Huh? So, the recipe of the week is a restorative ginger and turmeric noodle soup. Like a hug in a bowl. Uh-huh. The bright turmeric, garlic, ginger, and lime. Paired with a creamy, rich coconut milk base, make the soup as invigorating as it is comforting. A can of coconut milk and a well-stocked spice cabinet does most of the heavy lifting for this dish, and crispy garlic chips and a dribble of and a dribble. <laughs> and crispy garlic chips and a drizzle of fragrant garlic oil add another layer of aromatic flavor. If you don't enjoy hugging people, this hug in a bowl is the next best thing. We've been talking about Hannah Igber's article in the New York Times about the digital fragments left behind after death. This week's memory is from a woman whose father died and her discovery of another side of him after she found a playlist that he had created. She said, Losing our dad was one of the hardest things we'd gone through. We lost him pretty suddenly. He was diagnosed with esophageal cancer last May, and we lost him in December. We assumed we'd have more time. In our attempts to find mementos of him after he passed, my sister remembered his Spotify account and quickly played his 2022 Spotify-wrapped playlist. It felt like we were able to glimpse a hidden side of our dad on his long rides in traffic as he traveled from house to house for his work as a painter. To our surprise, our Mexican-born immigrant dad loved old-school country music, and his most played artist was Dolly Parton. My mom, sister, and I sobbed and laughed as we huddled around his phone, playing a glimpse of his final year with us. We curated a playlist for his gravesite burial service and then listened to a time capsule of his favorite songs as they lowered his casket. We can now keep his playlist with us and remember the incredibly quirky, goofy, and proud man. 
that was our father. Please go to our webpage for the recipe of the week, that hug in a bowl, and additional resources for this program. Your tax-deductible donations are always welcome so that we can continue to offer you quality programming and thank you in advance for making your donation at www.everyonedies.org. It's www.everyonedies.org. The number one dies.org. Charlie? Thanks, Marianne. A potter's field is a biblical term from the New Testament that refers to land purchased by Jewish high priests with the 30 pieces of silver returned by a repentant Judas. The clay-heavy land was unsuitable for farming, so it would instead be used to bury strangers. Some of your favorite parks were probably built on dead bodies. Potter fields in New York City that became city parks include Bryan Park, where the New York Public Library now stands, and Washington Square Park, where the young Bob Dylan perfected his folk songs while across the street, 80-something Edward Hopper, the painter of Nighthawks, focused on his art, oblivious to the social changes outside his window. Washington Square Park had room for both, plus the estimated 20,000 New Yorkers who had been buried there and actually continued to be unearthed during renovations. Nowadays, unmarked pine boxes arrive regularly by ferry to Hart Island, New York City's potter's field, the largest one in America. City workers entomb the homeless, indigent, and stillborn in trenches across the island. It lies between the coast of the Bronx and Long Island, technically in Long Island Sound. Most individuals buried on Hart Island have a next of kin who opted for a public burial. Some are unidentified or do not have a next of kin. About 20% of the burials are fetal remains. The island was once a penal colony and since the 19th century run by New York's jail system using inmates as grave diggers. In the 1800s, it was a popular place for bare knuckle boxing matches. During the Civil War, the 31st Infantry Unit of U.S. Colored Troops used the island as a training ground. Post-Civil War uses included a workhouse for incorrigible and truant boys and a psychiatric hospital. Serious use of the island for burials began in 1869. Since then, the island has been used as Navy barracks during World War II and the Nike Missile Base in 1955. The missiles were stored underground and functioned as defense against air attacks until the Army closed the base and relocated. The missile platform from the Cold War remained, capped with concrete. Dancing on graves until 1976 were massive festivals and events like carnival rides and movie screenings, and big-name musicians like the Velvet Underground and Janice Ian. More than a million people have been buried in unmarked graves on the island, including from past epidemics like yellow fever and tuberculosis, the 1918 flu, AIDS, and COVID-19. The chaos and fear of the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s and 90s created a spike in the island's burials as many funeral homes refused to accept the bodies. This led Hart Island to become perhaps the single largest burial ground in the country for people with AIDS, according to the New York Times. Unlike other burials, those who died of AIDS were interred individually 14 feet deep. At the height of the... Jeez. I know, it's... it's geez. 
At the height of a COVID-19 outbreak, New York's hospitals, morgues, and mortuaries became inundated, and the mass graves on Hart Island became a convenient option. The city was so overwhelmed that at times, bodies were sent to the island before authorities had a chance to determine their cause of death or track down next of kin. Some families chose to have their loved ones buried there. Some families weren't aware their relatives had died in the first place. In March and April of 2020, the death count mounted to more than 27,000, six times the normal level, and the city's death care system was overburdened. The only witnesses to these burials were the Rikers Island inmates, who served as both pallbearers and gravediggers. These incarcerated men were paid 37 cents an hour to unload pine caskets, mark them, then lower them into long trenches slash mass graves and cover them with dirt. Inmate labor ended during the early days of the COVID pandemic. COVID swept through jails, so burial crews were replaced with contracted laborers. Access to Hart Island has been restricted. Grieving the dead is essential, but there are few resources to identify unnamed burials. Once a month, friends and family can schedule an appointment to visit a gazebo by the dock. A number of lawsuits challenged the city to provide gravesite visitation rights, but the island was kept off limits until 2021, when the city transferred it from the custody of the Department of Corrections to the Parks Department. New York's most forbidden place for public access will be open to the public. Things should significantly become easier for the bereaved and for business. The city still conducts about uh, about 1,100 burials every year on Hart Island. Bodies are buried over 131 acres. The only signs of the dead are three-foot white posts stuck in the ground about every 25 yards. Each marker signifies 150 bodies below, and they are everywhere. Sailboats glide in the distance. Bones are sometimes found jutting from the coastline where erosion has washed away the soil. A million bodies are buried there, and now it's becoming a park. What could go wrong? The dead will share the island with nature classes and guided tours under the park department's Weekend Adventure Series, which will be led by urban park rangers. Typical events will feature canoeing, hiking, archering, and fishing jaunts, programming designed to both honor the dead and lift the stigma surrounding the island. Sometime later this year, park officials expect to open the programs to a limited number of users under managed visitation. To answer the delicate question, how to open access to an island that is home to acres of unmarked mass graves? Lest you worry, officials have no plans to turn the nation's largest public cemetery into recreational space with playgrounds and picnic tables. It will be passive, scenic open space, not a place where people disembark and go at it just to have fun, said Mitchell Loring, a senior project manager with the Parks Department. Belinda Hunt, the founder of the nonprofit Heart Island Project, had hoped that the 2019 law ending 150 years of penal control would make the island free-range parkland. The city has budgeted more than $80 million in tax dollars, she said. New Yorkers deserve to be able to walk around freely in their cemetery. The Parks Department shouldn't be restricting access to this public space. They're assuming people don't know how to behave in the cemetery.
hey, come on, it's New York City. Of course, New Yorkers would know how to behave. The current burial trench is right in the center of the island. The plain wooden coffins are stacked three deep in trenches sectioned off in plots of 150 caskets each. There are separate plots for stillborn deaths. The city does around 50 disinterments a year for reburial elsewhere by relatives. The removal of derelict buildings has opened up enough space, the city estimates, for several more decades of burials. One visitor whose father is buried there suggests a simple, free-roaming park with a minimum of structural improvements seems appropriate, perhaps with a welcome center, bathrooms, benches, and a few vending machines. It's still hallowed ground and deserves respect and dignity, she said. A park is going to be set into motion with a little more respect, like, okay, Hard Island is changing. It's not what it used to be, and that's the goal. So, Marianne. <laughs> I didn't know all of that. I, I knew I knew why I knew bits and pieces of why it. Why do they I'm sorry, what? why do they have why do they have stillborn babies there? I, I tried to look that up. Um I could not find a definitive answer uh, from different hospitals. Um, twenty percent is a lot, but it's a lot. Yeah, it's not just a few great. Um, I, I think the idea. Shoot, hang on, I turned my head. I think the idea is just to out of. I don't know. Uh, I really don't know. Uh, perhaps people, you know, figured this was a real life person, and decided to give them a proper burial. I, 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 well, I, no. I have not I been mean, able to find like an actual why, reason why. Like, why aren't the parents burying I, their child? Beats me. Why is it going there? Um, it's it's possible the the parents were poor. It's possible the parents didn't. Just didn't know what to do, and just left it there yeah. in the hospital, and um, and then the hospital, you know, buried a lot of these at Hard Island. But you're right. Mm. I mean, it's it's that's that's a lot. It's a that lot. A yeah. Lot. Maybe if any of our listeners know the answer that Charlie couldn't find, because it's it, there's got to be a reason. I just can't think of what it is. Yeah. So. Yeah, but it's just re well, it's very interesting with, with this history of all this. Yeah, and basically, like mm -hmm. like I said, there's just some, where the Waldorf Astoria is on uh, on Park Avenue, mm -hmm. that used to be a potter field as well. <laughs> they, really? Yeah, I mean, there were potter fields all over the city. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Absolutely. So what do you got next? And our... In our third half, we have um, a survey about what love means to four- to eight-year-old kids. A group of professional people posed this question to four, and eight, four to eight-year-olds. What does love mean? The answers they got were broader, deeper, and more profound than anyone could have ever imagined. So here's some examples. Uh, a girl age eight said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. Oh. That's love. A boy age four said, 
When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Boy age five. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) A girl age six. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. A girl age four. Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. A boy age eight. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my dad and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. A boy age seven. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and just listen. A girl age eight. During my piano recital, I was on stage and I was scared. I looked at all the people watching me and saw my daddy waving and smiling. He was the only one doing that. I wasn't scared anymore. A boy age seven. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he's handsomer than Robert Redford. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A boy age six. Love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. Uh, a girl age eight. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. A four-year-old child whose next-door neighbor was an elder gentleman whose wife had recently died. Upon seeing the man cry, the little boy went into the old gentleman's yard, climbed into his lap, and just sat there. When his mother asked him what he had said to the neighbor, the little boy said nothing. I just helped him cry. That's sweet. Mm. Isn't it? Yeah. Very insightful. So what does love mean? What does love mean to you, Charlie? What is love? Well, um, L is for the way you look at me. O is for the only one I see. V is very, very extraordinary. E is even more than anyone that I adore can love. Is all that I can give. Am I allowed to sing on the podcast? Uh, Has anybody stopped you so far? No, but the the, the year is still young. Um, (laughs) What is it that... uh, I guess it's just a feeling. Um, it's, you know it when it's there. I, I, I can't put it into words. You know it when you see it. Or you know yeah, it when you feel actually, it. Actually, yes, you know it when you see it. And again, with a lot of the kids saying, you know, somebody, you know, is holding someone or, or just, you know, with the, with the little boy, with the, with his neighbor and he just, you know, sat on the gentleman's lap. Yeah. It's, it's not about words. It's about that moment. It's about that moment. And there are no words for, for, for those moments. Mm-hmm. That. Yes. 
You? I think, um, I think love is being known, you know, when, when the person that you love, like, you know what will make them happy. You know what will please them. And you do it. You, and, and, and you actually and you, do and it. And you do it, yeah. That's to that, doing the opposite of it. Yeah. No, because no, I've just been in relationships where somebody knew, and, and even myself, you know, years ago when I knew, but I was, you know, uncomfortable or, or something to act on that. Um, but it's just sad. It's not enough just to know it, but you act on it. And it can be just the simplest things, just like, you know, hold suddenly, suddenly reaching out and holding someone's hands and just because. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So um, okay. that's it for we this that, week. We solved so, that problem. Yes, good. The world is now a better place. <clears throat> yep. So that's it for uh, this week's uh, episode. Uh, please stay tuned for the continuing saga of Everyone Dies, and thank you for listening. Sand through an hourglass is not the same as an hourglass in sand. Okay, think about it. This is Charlie Navarrete. And from playwright and theater director Bertolt Brecht, do not fear death so much, but rather the inadequate life. Uh, And I'm Marianne Matzo, and we'll see you next week. Remember, every day is a gift. This podcast does not provide medical advice. All discussion on this podcast, such as treatments, dosages, outcomes, charts, patient profiles, advice, messages, and any other discussion are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your primary care practitioner or other qualified health providers with any questions that you may have regarding your health. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard from this podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Everyone Dies does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, practitioners, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in this podcast. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast by persons appearing on this podcast at the invitation of Everyone Dies or by other members is solely at your own risk.